Uh, hello. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Good. Pretty good. Good. I'm glad to hear that you are doing well. Yes. Each and every one of you and all of our listeners, I hope you are also doing well. If it's your birthday, happy birthday. Yeah. It's none Felice of our birthdays. That's what I'm saying. But if you if you happen to be listening to this on your birthday, that'd be pretty cool. Happy birthday! <laughs> We're glad you're here with us. Uh, but you should go celebrate with your family or loved ones. Yes. Do it. But if you don't have any, you have us. Yeah. So now we just you didn't even expect it. You turned on this podcast and you're like, man, this podcast is going to be a lot of things, but it's not going to wish me a happy birthday. And boy, were you wrong. <laughs> we did it. Just for you, and whoever this, you this are. This concludes our episode. Goodbye. <laughs> See you later. No, hello and welcome to episode 25 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be other podcasts where somebody else watches a movie and then talks about it, but this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined, as always, to my right hand, in the podcast and in all things. Becca. Hello. How are you? I am fabulous. Are you awake? I am awake. We watched a long movie. And I didn't even fall asleep. I just almost fell asleep. That's good. It's all right. <laughs> It's understandable. And at my left hand, mostly just in the podcast, by Sid. Hey. <laughs> but Sid is at my right hand in the podcast <laughs> and in all things. What the crap? Yes. Shouldn't I be at your right hand in all things? Nope. No, I'm at your right hand, which would make you at my left hand. Can we hand. join right hands and then we're both at each other's right hand? I don't think it works like that. I don't know. I'm just saying, Sid's at my right, so. Suck it. <laughs> you guys couldn't see it, but she did a victory dance. <laughs> um, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about a movie that we just watched, as per the name of the podcast. The uh, name of the movie, which will be the topic of discussion for our 25th episode, is Terrence Malick's The New World. Now... Uh, for those of you who are uninitiated, there are actually three versions of this film, and I did a little bit of detective work before the show to figure out what's going on here. So, the movie was initially released uh, very narrowly in 2005 in December, just in time for the award seasons, right? So, critics and members of the Academy were distributed a roughly 150 minute cut of the movie uh it screened in two theaters in each la and new york in order to qualify for the awards season and that was it uh it received its wide release early in the year in 2006 in a revised 135 minute cut i don't know what those 15 minutes really made the difference but in any case um, and then somewhere along the way, Terrence Malick created a 172-minute extended cut, which is the version that we watched tonight. It is the director's preferred version. So if you are looking to watch this movie, try and find the extended cut. We watched it uh, because I own the Criterion Collection version of this movie, which also contains the other two cuts, which I think is more of just a completionist thing because if I'm ever going to sit down to watch this movie, like 
I'm already strapping in for at least two and a half hours. Give me the extra 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also warn me beforehand, which he did. Yeah. I didn't do that before Blade Runner. Which made me not like it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's what's going on here. So we watched the, again, director's preferred 172 minute extended cut. You will recognize that as just shy of three hours. So if you don't like long movies, uh, maybe skip this one. But if you are okay with long movies, then we're going to tell you uh, if you should still skip it or not. And we're not going to tell you right up front because then you wouldn't have any reason to listen to the podcast. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to save it till that'll be the last thing we say is whether or not you should skip it. Yeah. Um, so, again, just to get everybody initiated, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, we do recommend watching it before listening to the podcast. But if you're a little bit of a rebel and you just want a little bit of a refresher, uh, this movie stars uh, Colin Farrell and a woman. I cannot <laughs> say her name. Um, I don't know. Maybe you guys want to give it a shot. No. Eh. no. Nope. Uh. Korianka Kilcher? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't even know. What's she done? Oh, it looks like she actually uh, pivoted this into <laughs> quite a successful film career. <laughs> well done. Um, but this was her debut role, I believe. Oh, no. What the crap? It was... She was in... How the Grinch Stole Christmas as a little choir member before this. <laughs> so uh, she gets the introducing credit in the opening credits. So, yeah. Um, and they play John Smith and Pocahontas, respectively. And it is the trials and tribulations of love in a new world um, while examining uh, life, love, happiness, desire. And man's continuing separation from the ways of nature, as all Terrence Malick films do. <laughs> um, but yeah, this touches on a lot of different things that I think are not covered by some of his other films. And we'll get into the details here. Um, Christian Bale also stars as, or doesn't star, he's in it as John Rolfe. Christopher Plummer makes an appearance for a little bit here or there. Uh, yeah, so we're going to jump right in with some hot takes. They're spicy hot. Dropped them in the deep fryer. <laughs> right? Yeah. <Yep. laughs> All right, Becca. Uh, try not to burn us with the oil off your hot take. Oh, boy. I'll, I'll try. Do your best. <laughs> okay. Well, this was the first time that I have seen The New World, but it has been sitting on our shelf for a very long time. And I've actually been pretty excited to watch it since Andrew first bought it and told me about it. <laughs> And I was not disappointed. I thought it was fantastic. And I felt like this movie did a really good job of just like creating this beautiful world that I could get lost in. It was very like fairy tale like, but not like I, I don't know what the right word is to describe it, but. It definitely was just like beautiful and this world that I was able to just get wrapped up in and really enjoy the entire time. So right off the bat, I like this movie a lot. That's a spicy hot take. <laughs> Did so, I burn you? No, I'm not burned though. Okay, good. I'm not. I'm okay. 
don't call OSHA. We have a safe workplace, even though we don't get paid for this. <laughs> OSHA would still come for us. Those guys are vultures. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked this one. Um, I was a little wary going into it um, because the only other Terrence Malick movie I've seen was Tree of Life. And that one was a great one, but it was hard to get through. Um, I would definitely say this one is more digestible than that one because it has a plot. Um, which usually makes it a little bit easier um but yeah i really liked it um colin farrell's eyebrows were just the star for me (laughs) um what is better um chris evans sideburns in sunshine or colin farrell's eyebrows in this you know i think i'm gonna have to go eyebrows because eyebrows really help admit that just like steely gaze that he has okay that's fair steely gazes are very important in terrence malick movies because you don't get a lot of words to work with (laughs) (laughs) um in fact i haven't seen it but there's a movie that he has with uh christian bell and i think it's uh kate blanchett isn't it uh where there was literally no script he kind of like he like outlined their characters for them it's called knight of cups um if I'm remembering right, if I'm not, then I guess just forget about this. But he basically outlined their characters for them and like the general plot that he was going for, and then just had them improv interactions with each other. Wow. So, uh, again, for those of you who are not as well acquainted, Terrence Malick uh, came out with two movies in the 70s Badlands and Days of Heaven that were very well received. I have not seen either of them, unfortunately. Days of Heaven has probably been on our shelf for a year. Yeah, we need to watch that one. I just haven't watched it. It was on sale. I got it for like 12 bucks on Amazon, and it was the Criterion version. So I was like, oh, yeah, I got to get this. Uh, but we haven't watched it yet. It just, it, the, the mood has not been right ever. I don't know. Uh, so he made those two movies, I think like 75 and 78, and very well received. And then he just disappeared, right? Uh, came back 20 years later in 1998 with The Thin Red Line. Uh Followed that up in 2005 with this, The New World, and then 2011 with Tree of Life. So he took a lot of time for each of those three films, um, with The Tree of Life being kind of his magnum opus. Like, he was always working towards Tree of Life. Um, He had that kicking around in his head for years and years and years and years before he finally made it. And then after Tree of Life, his output, like, skyrocketed. He's come out with, like, five movies since 2011, I think. Wow. I have not seen any of them. I have to be in just the right mood to watch a Terrence Malick movie. And when I'm in the mood, I just want to watch one of the ones I've seen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It takes a lot to watch one of his movies. His movies are exhausting, and this is not exempt from that. Uh, That said, this was only my second time seeing this. Uh, The first time, I don't know what version I saw, honestly. Um, I want to say it was probably the original cut, the 150-minute uh, but I don't honestly know. I'd have to look. It's my sister has it on DVD. So I would assume that I think that was the most widely distributed version was the original cut. Um, and I, I remember liking it. I, I enjoyed it significantly more this time around. And I think that might be because, I mean, last time I saw it, it was maybe five years ago and I wasn't ready. I don't think to watch it. Like it was the first, it was, this was the first Terrence Malick movie that I ever saw. And 
I don't think that I was ready for it the first time that I saw it. This time watching it, and I think that the extended cut does make a difference. Um, that said, I could really uh, basically just list every aspect of filmmaking and be like, this was really good in this movie. Like, <laughs> And I'm sure we'll talk about this. I have a like a mentally logged list of my favorite shots in this movie, but good, holy freaking crap. This movie is so gorgeous. <laughs> it really is. Like one of the more beautiful movies that I have ever seen. Like Emmanuel Lubezki just how did what? How? Like huh? his the lighting in this film is so exquisite. Like out of I haven't seen every movie that he's done. I've seen a lot of the movies that he's done. And I think the only one, I mean, like Tree of Life is absolutely freaking phenomenal, right? But it's just a, a very different style. If I were to have to like rank my absolute favorite Emmanuel Lubezki, uh, like cinematography jobs, I think it's it's a toss up between this and The Revenant, because the, the Revenant is just. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point on this podcast. Holy crap, that movie is <laughs> so beautiful, but. We're talking about the new world, which is also so beautiful. It's, it's just, it's. Uh, I guess I say that mostly to give it context. Like I think that this is on par with the Revenant and just above something like Tree of Life, which is just above something like Children of Men and Birdman. I put I put Children of Men and Birdman on a, on an equal level. I think mostly because they're so dependent on those long cuts. But so is the Revenant. But the Revenant has like the long cuts. I don't know. We're not talking about the Revenant on this podcast. <laughs> it's not. It's not a we watch movies and then talk about them podcast without me getting off on some random tangent. <laughs> if you're not here for the tangents, then go away. Um, point being, this movie's great. Cinematography is freaking phenomenal. Um, Terrence Malick manages to squeeze excellent performances out of everybody as he always does, which I'm not sure if that's due to him being a great director, which he, I'm sure he is, or if, I mean, his shooting style, he just shoots forever and everything. And then he goes to the, his movies are made in the editing room. Um, I mean, as evidenced by the fact that this movie has three versions, he keeps fiddling with them. Um, the one thing I think that stood out to me this time that I didn't, that I especially didn't notice last time was the soundtrack, which is so freaking good in this movie. Um, but yeah, I think this movie, um, from a craft standpoint, is phenomenal. I think from a, I guess, art standpoint, it has a lot to say, and I think it has interesting things to say, and I think that it is probably essential viewing for movie lovers, but more specifically, I think it's essential viewing within the Terrence Malick canon. I think that it it clarifies and gives some different perspective to uh, the ideas that are explored in both Thin Red Line and Tree of Life, which I see these, I mean, these are his three like big, I mean, Badlands and Days of Heaven as well, but like these three movies that he came out with in the early, like in that decade of, I guess, 98 to 2011, those three movies are all kind of related. They all talk about very similar things. And I think that, each of them is essential to understanding the others. I think I probably need to give Thin Red Line another go because... You do. 
it just did not hit me in the way that this one and tree of life did like i do not see the connection well between the three of them i think that's probably mostly due to the fact that i blindsided you with it i told you it was a yes. world war ii movie and then you get this meditation on like humanity and nature <laughs> yes and you didn't tell me how long it was yeah and it's like three hours long <laughs> yeah i think i was my expectations were not right for that one so i definitely should give that another go i'll i'll try right now to not get too much into how all three of them relate to each other and then in a future podcast i mean it's only been like three months since we did tree of life so maybe in a few months we do thin red line and then in that one we can really go into how the three of them connect that's fair i think that's a good idea i'll try and talk about this one more in a vacuum even though uh, it's tough though because what i most appreciated about this is how it connects to the other ones but whatever (laughs) who cares who cares whatever um those are my favorite aspects of it the cinematography the performances the soundtrack and the editing i think this this editing style that he starts here and then perfects on tree of life is just phenomenal i don't know i did like super notice the cinematography and music as well like i mean how could so you not notice the cinematography amazing. i know it's so i feel like it's really obvious in a good way how good it is oh yeah well and this is a it's not a it's not a 4k blu-ray unfortunately it's just a regular old blu-ray but it is a 4k transfer from the original negatives so this version of the film is like the best looking version there is and it's it's just spectacular gorgeous yeah it really is it looks great on our 55 inch vizio 4k tv with (laughs) hdr 10 playing on the xbox one x uh no but it was great so those are my um i guess i'll I'll put this out there now um what were your i guess maybe parts isn't the the right question to this one usually i say what was your favorite parts of the movie but i'll put it this way what were the aspects that you most enjoyed like what i guess hit home to you apart from cinematography that's the easy answer Um, I don't know if this, well, whatever it counts. Anything I say counts. It's fine. Um, I, I don't know. I love like the beginning was so colorful and beautiful and you just got to see like all of this, um, like grass and you just see like Pocahontas just like running around and it's so pretty. And then as the movie goes on, like the colors slowly shift as she like, grows up a little bit and learns how to become proper or whatever and like rebecca (laughs) yes (laughs) gross who would ever have a name like rebecca i don't know 15 generations of your family maybe (laughs) yep that's me (laughs) anyway like i love it but it also like just made my heart really sad to like watch her just like become trapped but then become like content with where she was but i don't know it's just like lots of emotions throughout it but like i loved that aspect of it of just like her journey Mm -hmm. i think that what makes it so effective is that it all feels very human yeah like it's it's 
you said it in your hot take that it's fairy tale like, and I do agree with that. But it it also is like very emotionally grounded, where the environment and the visuals and everything get a little bit fantastical. I feel like the emotions are very grounded. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's like, I just like don't really know how to explain it because it's, it is exactly that. Like it feels like um, this world that I don't know or understand at all, but I do understand the emotions. Yeah, for sure. And so it really does just like pull at the heartstrings a bit when like watching her yeah. journey. What about you, Sid? Um, this is something that, like, in the last 10 minutes of the movie, like, I kind of realized. Um, and I really liked it. I really like the narration shifts. Did I steal it from you? No, but okay, it, mine's connected to that. Because, okay. I mean, it wasn't until, like, the last little bit of the movie that I realized that in the beginning we started out with um, John. and like, which, which John? Oh, uh, John Smith. Okay. Um. <laughs> And, you know, like, the whole thing, it's about him and, like, them getting to the new world and trying to colonize it and then him getting captured and kind of, like, and then it kind of turns into um, him and Pocahontas for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then he leaves and it turns to her. And then even in the last few minutes of it, it kind of turns into, um, was that John Rolfe? John Rolfe. And his son. So I just really liked... I feel like it was a very smooth transition. Um, And I also kind of feel like that kind of goes along with what Becca said with the changing cinematography is that, you know, it's really happy in the beginning because all these men who just got to this new country are all excited and they're optimistic and he's falling in love and everything's beautiful. And then he leaves her and it starts to get sad. And so I just think it's, uh, they go hand in hand and I think it's a very smooth, effective transition. Yeah. My, my tie into that is it's a three-hour movie, but this this at least out of the three Terrence Malick movies that I've seen might is most likely his strongest screenplay. I think um, the story just moves so briskly; it doesn't ever like leave you just sitting. There's a lot of like lingering shots or panning shots or whatever, but you never feel stuck in a moment or in a place like. Something is always happening. The, the The narrative is really, really, really good here. And I think that the narrations, as you say, like play a huge part in that. Just as far as like, like you said during your hot takes that this is uh, more digestible than Tree of Life. And I, I absolutely think it's due to the screenplay and the fact that, I mean, it, it, it has a story. So that <laughs> automatically puts it on that level. But I mean, there's plenty of movies that are three hours long that have a story that you've there's always some part where you feel stuck or you're like, just move on. Or, and I never felt like that during this movie. Yeah. Like there was always something, there was always something going on that I cared about. There are almost times where I like kind of wanted it to slow down. Like when there were happy times between John Smith and Pocahontas and then it like switched to like all of a sudden these people are all fighting. I'm like, no, that's just like, take a little bit longer when we're happy so I can feel happy for a little bit. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think like going back to, um, it doesn't feel as long as it is. Like it, it feels like you you're going at a brisk pace. I think a lot of that has to do 
with the cinematography as well and just how like in all of the moments like it's not just like the camera sitting there and you're watching this scene happen but like even just in the moments between like Pocahontas and uh John Smith like there were so many different like angles and they were all like kind of unique angles like they would be just from like the back of Pocahontas's head and you just see like her hair and shoulder or something and like like you wouldn't see that much but I think that really added to like understanding what was happening in the scene and then also added to that like human element again and yeah the emotion. Yeah, I think that maybe we'll do it this way because I, I do have a list of specific shots that I want to bring up that I think are both impressive and thematically relevant. And one of them is it's like a five second shot of the top of her head. I don't know if you guys noticed that one, um, but it's it's during one of those moments between her and John Smith. And it just it just lingers on the top of her head. Mm-hmm. And what I take from that is like, when you are infatuated with somebody or falling in love with somebody or in love with somebody, sometimes you'll just like see something, you know what I mean? And it could be the most trivial thing in the world. It could be like a wrinkle on their forehead or like, you know, just like, Oh, is that a freckle I haven't seen before or whatever? And maybe like for John Smith in that moment, it was the top of her head and you just like stare at it and you're just like blown away by like, how incredible that piece of a person is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so they're having this this moment together and I imagine him just like, you know, seeing the top of her head and just being blown away by it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought that was a, 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 a very interesting choice for a very short shot to communicate something pretty deep. Yeah, like I would never, I mean, obviously I'm not, cinematographer and I know nothing about it but like I would never think to do something like that like oh let's just focus on her head for a second but it works so well and then there's so many like small moments where to like focus in on like their hands touching Mm -hmm. each other and like those were all really sweet like there were there were a lot of moments like that where it would just focus on something totally random it would like it would focus on her arm a lot like where her like tattoo or whatever mm-hmm. was and yeah I yeah i think it was really good and jumping i guess tying into that as well something else that i think is really good about the narrative here in the the screenplay and the narration is i mean terrence malick is known for his voiceovers like that's just the thing that he does um but this this movie trusts its audience to understand human emotion and context. And I think that's really rewarding as a viewer. I think one of the, I think a lot of these shots that we're talking about where you, you feel what they are feeling with them rather than, than them looking at each other and being like, Oh my gosh, I'm so infatuated with you. And I can't imagine my life without you and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Like there's a few moments where, um, like in their voiceovers, they'll say something along those lines. It's, it's better written than that and better performed than that. But there's so much of this movie that's left up to you to watch it and to understand the context and the subtext of what's going on. I think most effectively is at the very end, which is one of my absolute favorite parts of the movie, when John Rolfe brings John Smith to his house and they're walking around the garden and... um. 
Pocahontas says to him, did you find your indies? You know, being because he was given the task to go find a pathway to the indies. And all he says is, I think I may have sailed past them. And like, that's the end of their dialogue together. And like, that's a little on the nose, but like it, somebody with less trust in their audience, they would have to have this whole discussion of like, you know, we met when we were young and we had this great romance and we were deeply in love. And then like things changed and we've changed and we've grown apart and now we're two separate people. And like, while our love was valid then, like maybe we don't feel the same way now because we're not the same people we were then. And, but it's okay. And this is all okay. And I still love you, but just not in that way. And I'll keep you forever in my heart. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but rather than that, there's two lines of dialogue that communicates all of that. And it, it just, he trusts the audience to understand that. And I think that's really rewarding as a viewer to not be spoon fed everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were almost times where I wanted them to just kind of like spill it and just like proclaim your love for each other. Like just tell your feelings, but then that would have been so boring and not as captivating as just watching them interact with each other. Yeah. Because I mean, realistically, like, I mean, maybe some people do, I don't know. But when you're like entering into and advancing a serious relationship, like the amount of times that you just sit down and be like, let's tell each other how much we care. Like that just doesn't happen. Like you just are together and you show it and you both feel it. So you don't need to say it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's what I think it comes back to what we were saying before that the whole thing feels very human and emotionally grounded. Yeah. Because the dialogue also feels pretty natural throughout the movie. To the point that sometimes it's hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't hear a single thing they're saying when it's just like the colony, just all these British guys. I'm like, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. But I didn't want to turn on subtitles because I, I didn't want to mar the screen <laughs> i don't think it really mattered Whatever. yeah we got it all with context and with what happened like yeah you almost didn't need dialogue like i mean i don't think i could watch it without dialogue but like thinking about it like it the performances were so impressive and the way it was filmed and put together like it could tell the story even without dialogue i think 100 percent, 100 percent um oh so i guess that we ran through all of our favorite aspects um before i jump into my tirade that i have prepared (laughs) (laughs) over the course of the 30 minutes that we've been sitting here um but i guess what do you guys like dislike think about the themes or what this movie is trying to communicate because, I mean, obviously, it's a it's the story of, what does the IMDb say? Like, the changing world and loves of Pocahontas, which I think makes it sound really cheesy. But <laughs> I, think this, I think this movie has a lot to say. And I think it has some interesting things to say. But before I, I don't want to, like, taint your guys' opinions with my tirade. Well, I think that you're going to talk about this because you mentioned it briefly earlier, but I think one of the really subtle things that it touched on that I really liked was what you said 
I don't even remember how you said it, but like going from nature to like a like concrete Mm -hmm. world, basically. And I thought that was a really interesting and relevant theme that like we have kind of lost touch with the natural world and that's sad and I don't know. I just really enjoyed watching like Pocahontas learn how to deal with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I would probably say nature is a big theme throughout. Um, but I mean, it is just like kind of telling the story of how white people ruin everything. Um, that should be the subtitle of this movie. (laughs) How white people ruin everything. Why white people suck the three hour (laughs) meditative epic. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, hopefully we all kind of know that white people were not really the good guys in this situation yeah um so i think it's it's telling a fairly objective view of all of that um you know it kind of shows the the colonies struggling and uh trying to find a new home but then it also shows the native americans trying to keep what they've had for ever mm-hmm. um so i kind of feel like it's not totally making a huge statement but it also is at the same time yeah um i would probably say like the biggest statement that it's making is just that like these two different people from two different worlds could find love and everything's a-okay yeah but i think that that's there's maybe three major points that i kind of want to uh touch on um and the first is the nature of love and I think that's explored really interestingly here um, in that love is something that you can't really explain and you can't predict it and you can't force it. Like it just is what it is and it shows up when it wants to and it goes away when it wants to. Like, and we as people have zero control over that. You know what I mean? And I think that's a a really interesting thing that is explored here because he does, as I was reading around a little bit, he, he editorializes quite a bit as far as the characters and, um, basically a lot of things go. Um, apparently Pocahontas was like 10 years old when John Smith came to the colonies and like all of this, like this never, this just never happened. Um, (laughs) So this, uh, this is basically taking the Disney story as an inspiration and then kind of. I mean, she did look really young in the movie, but which not 10. I appreciated. She's supposed, but... I, think, um, I think she was like around 13 when they came over. Ooh. Yeah, that's what I thought. Which 13, like the actress but... was like 14, 15. So. Was she? Yeah. This whole thing's got a little ickier. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It was the 17th century. It was a different time, guys. It was a different time. We're not going to get into the, like, was John Smith a pedophile? <laughs> um, point being, like, he could have made John Rolfe into a total dickhole. I totally expected him to be a huge dick. But, like, he was a good guy, and he didn't really do anything wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, you can't make somebody love you, and you can't make love for somebody else go away or be replaced or whatever like things just have to run their course you know what i mean and i think that's this movie takes a really long time to show that rather than tell you that 
that like love when it happens is you know magical and it just comes from nowhere and it just is what it is right and like i said i think this movie shows that very effectively um and then the other two points that i want to touch on are, are kind of connected to that um but i think that the uh larger story here is that of pocahontas's uh subtle and prolonged disconnection from nature or what her understanding of nature was because even at the end she continues to talk to mother who is the water um she spells that out at the beginning right um and then her her last her last line in the film is mother i know where you live and I think that's a, a very important line. But again, it starts out, like you guys said, with these fantastic colors and just this incredible just kaleidoscope of beauty and peace and cooperation. And um, it's almost like when, <clears throat> sorry, when we were watching uh, John Smith's kind of initiation into their tribe, it super ri- reminded me of the creation sequence in Tree of Life. It's not as like start stop, but like as far as this really extended beautiful sequence to get a single point across. <laughs> <laughs> like I I think that it serves. I think that sequence serves a similar purpose to the creation sequence in Tree of Life, in that to show like. Like, this is where we came from, right? Like, you know, people and nature are two different things. And it's kind of like oil and water. Like, they just don't mix. And then John Smith is kind of the bridge in this film between the two. And then one of my oh, one of my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite shots is when he comes back from... Uh, he has his whole time with them and then they say, you got to go. So they bring all these gifts and food and offerings and whatever to the colony. And he walks up and the people are like, oh my gosh, dude, it's you. And you're, you're, I don't, you don't know what to expect. You know what I mean? But you, you don't expect what you see. <laughs> yeah. And he opens the doors to the colony and it's just gray and bleak and ugly. And it's like the freaking people in Monty Python that are, sifting through mud you know what i mean like you're like this is the life that these people are living like this is what like they are getting beat by nature (laughs) and they're trying so hard to to beat it down but they just can't well like we saw them arrive there and it was like this beautiful place when they arrive and then they're like all right get digging and building let's cut all these trees down and build this place and it just was like so sad for me to go from uh john smith in nature and then go back to where they like did it to themselves like they had they could have had this beautiful place to live in but like they destroyed it by trying to build something that they thought would keep them safe and healthy yeah well and this ties into tree of life as well and since we've already done an episode of tree of life i don't feel bad referencing it i'll avoid talking (laughs) about thin red line though um the idea you know, just this, this, this philosophy of conquest and ownership and, 
you know, cruelty and violence is all so antithetical to this understanding of nature, which one of the things that he most heavily editorialized on is that the different tribes of Native Americans were like super violent with each other, like very warmongering people. Like all they were all about conquest and taking over other tribes and stuff. But I, I, I appreciate that he edits that here in service of the themes, right? That they represent this again, cooperation and love and this connection with nature. Whereas the Englishmen represent that disconnect from nature and conquest and hatred and violence. And basically how that, I guess, philosophy beats down the Native American philosophy, right? To the point that they go to war together and end up just killing each other. And Pocahontas is ejected from her society. And so, you know, over the course of the movie, as you say, the colors change and she changes and she goes through this disconnect from her roots and from nature as as she sees it at the time right um she loves and she loses and she grows up and she becomes more mature and she has all of these things happen to her and she does all of these things and then eventually you know but she's so for the whole time she's just so hung up on john smith and then eventually she has this moment where she sees John Smith and realizes that she's not in love with him anymore. And she is in love with John Rolfe and they've got this beautiful kid. And so that's why, I mean, that line at the end is so significant where she says, mother, I know where you live now. And then you get John Rolfe's letter to his kid saying, you know, on her deathbed, she reminded me that all things have to die and that it's enough that you are alive. And I think that the resolution to all of this is that maybe she and even we as an audience misinterpreted what is important because we see it as this depressing separation of nature, right? She starts out so connected to nature and then she gets so separated from it and we're like, that's so sad, but maybe... That connection isn't what's most important. And what is most important is love and family. And you can have that even in this gray concrete world because you see at the end, the colors come back when they're in the garden and she's playing with, with her kid and everything. So while that connection is great and that idea of uh, you know peace and cooperation and love would be fantastic if humanity could live that way, like we just don't. And so what it's saying is, well, while that would be great, and maybe we came from there, we very much are in this industrialized world that has embraced violence and conquest and, you know, superiority complexes and all of that. But even inside of this, you can find love and you can find family, and that's what's really important. And those are my three points. Nice. <laughs> I I really like that. I totally agree with that. And I think I definitely did notice like she was able to some like reconnect at the end and and I think it's because of the colors coming back. And yeah, I think it is a reconnection to nature but through her family. Like yeah. and the her, natural and her kids specifically. Yeah. And like 
humans like we are nature too so it makes sense that she would get that connection back when she realized like how important her family is and specifically her son because again i won't get too into it but the thing that these three movies share so heavily is that dynamic between i mean tree of life spells it out as um what does she say uh nature and what what's her speech oh um remember oh what is it give me two seconds hey everybody i'm just looking up a thing on imdb but we're not gonna make you sit in silence the tree of life (laughs) quote it's bugging me that i can't remember because i know it she says the way of nature Where are quotes? Let's see. Oh, nature and grace. That's right. So that's oh, actually nature's interesting. The he, bad nature's the bad one. one in in Tree of Life. And maybe that's I don't know. Maybe we're just giving the wrong names to it to talk about it in relation to the other one. Maybe it is it's it's it is nature and grace basically. So maybe the Native Americans represent grace rather than nature. The point still stands. I just use the wrong words. But it, yeah, it's like the negative part of nature in men, not like the earth. It's referring to human nature, not mother nature yes. in the tree of life. Yes. Whereas this one is referring to mother nature, not human nature. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's my spiel. That's what I took from this movie. And I think that it's important. I agree. Like, I I don't think I realized until the end how... Um, how many like lessons it was teaching or important themes it had because I was like oh like this is a great movie about Pocahontas and I'm really enjoying it and I noticed the music and the cinematography and then it wasn't until the end and I think it's because the last 10 minutes kind of wrapped everything up and and like finalized all of it but then I was like oh yeah like this is saying some really important things yeah I just I don't know I love the 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 first shot versus last shot the first shot with them swimming in the river and her talking and then the last shot of the river and then the tree her being the river and john rolf being the tree yeah i love that um there's also a whole subtext going on about religion that i didn't pay enough attention to to be able to fully explain it but i um what as uh, just so I have an excuse to mention it, um, two of my other absolute favorite shots had to do with that. Uh, one being the guy that went over to England standing in the church with the stained glass windows in front of him, and it's just his silhouette in front of them. What a phenomenal shot of just him not knowing what he got himself into. Well, and wasn't it his comment on the boat when he was like, I'm going over to see what this God is all about? Yeah, he said he said he had it. He had sticks and he said he's supposed to make a notch in the stick for every Englishman that he sees. And he's supposed to see this God that the Englishman won't shut up about. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my other one is a similar shot. But I think um, from, you know, obviously the Native American religion is... She's in England and it it flashes to a shot in the dark 
back in Virginia. And I think it's, I took it to be the persona, like personification of mother nature. And you see this lady with her face painted and she's holding a torch and she turns back and extends her hand out. And I, again, as, as far as we're talking about her reconnection with her idea of nature through her family, I took that as mother nature welcoming her back in, in that shot. And I think it's just a, a, a gorgeous shot that honestly made me tear up a little bit. I teared up a lot in this movie, so don't be embarrassed. I heard you sniffling, and every time that I hear you sniffling, I'm like, are you crying? And you always <laughs> say no, so I didn't ask this stuff. <laughs> and I kind of got some allergies going on, so it was probably a little of both. Yeah, I, I uh, last 30 minutes of this movie just kind of got me going. There were several times that I almost, I almost started going. Me too. Another thing along with, I don't, I guess it could go along with religion, but just like tied in with the title of the movie a lot. I really liked in the end, uh, Rebecca is who she was at this point. She was baptized. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Um, but in the end she said something about like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to fit in this new world. She said, my life has brought me to this strange new world. Yeah. That's what it was. And it's just interesting because in the title, like the new world, like I think of Virginia, you know, like I think mm-hmm. of the Englishmen coming to the United States and that's the new world. And it was the new world, but like it was just like an interesting perspective to see the new world be both Virginia and England. Yeah. I mean, they came to, the Englishmen came to the new world, but they also brought a new world with them. Uh huh. So I, yeah, I just think that's like an interesting idea. And like the title is just perfect. Like it really covers the movie. Turns out Terrence Malick puts some thought into these things. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to think. I already talked about the soundtrack, but I want to say it again. Soundtrack, just the piano in this movie. So many scenes are just driven by that piano. Phenomenal. Um, performances, editing. Again, I think that, like Becca said, the editing has a lot to do with how brisk. It's not It's not like boyhood levels of... Boyhood feels like it's an hour and a half long. This movie like, still... It definitely feels a little slow. Not in that, like, not the pace necessarily, but, like, you can tell that you're watching a three-hour movie yeah for sure but i think the editing and how dynamic and it shifts between being pretty jumpy and these long sustained nature shots but yeah major props to this movie what else do we have to say about it anything anything um i just wanted to say i mean they're two very different movies but the ending of this really reminded me of the ending of la la land Ooh, okay. And that just like it's a, it's a very similar situation. Um you know, spoilers if you haven't seen La La Land, you should watch it. It's really good. Um do you have to say something? Something snarky? No, I was just going to say La La Land is really good. <laughs> <laughs> um but like a similar situation, like Mia has gone off to this new life and she has a wife or she has a wife, she has a husband. That'd be a twist. <laughs> um, and a child, and she sees this lost love that she had, and they have a they have a a moment where there's no dialogue, um, 
and it kind of just this one it it like kind of how you were talking about how they could have spelled it out but they just do it with the two line two lines of dialogue mm-hmm. this one they do kind of spell it out which is like with their little montage where it's like we were so happy but this is kind of what happened and then like they just like leave and she you know like she still loves him but she has a new life and i don't know they both just they both just get me feeling things yeah i don't know um i'm surprised you didn't bring this up call me by your name as well i can't feel those emotions right now (laughs) (laughs) i mean this movie is basically uh call me by your name but without the homosexuality or italy or (laughs) any of it but the idea of like a passing love being very formative for the rest of your life i love that movie so much it's a great movie (laughs) that's another one we we're almost to the point where we can start watching all of those again i think like yeah because again like call me by your name and three billboards and shape of water and lion have all been sitting on the shelf since they came out i bought them right away yeah uh but I feel like you got to give him some time to breathe. And I think we're almost to the point where we can wrap back around to him. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I definitely want to. <laughs> I almost pulled Shape of Water tonight. I would love to see that one again. Me too. And I've been really wanting to watch Call Me By Your Name for a, a long time now. <laughs> Actually, me too. See, I've watched it like, I've seen it four times already. And I the last time I saw it was probably in summer and i just like my emotions are exhausted so i don't know give it another month maybe i'll be there do you still eat peaches i'm not a huge fan of peaches yeah to be honest <laughs> because of the movie or um, uh, timothy chalamet is a big fan of peaches <laughs> you know i think my aversion came when i worked in an ice cream shop and i had to make peach shakes and they were the worst mm. so do you think it's on purpose that the peach emoji has become the de facto symbol for butts? <laughs> See, that was kind of my thinking when I was watching it. <laughs> but then someone pointed out that there's a deeper meaning and it makes more sense. It would only be like less subtle if he just smacked a peach with an eggplant. <laughs> See, the book was written before emojis were a thing. Oh, that's so. fair. Uh, no, I would. I'm. I would love to do "Call Me by Your Name" on the podcast. I would be. I'm sure Sid has. That might be the one movie that Sid has more to say about than I do. <laughs> so probably that'd be exciting to see. Yeah, you guys could finally have an episode where I don't talk the most, <laughs> and I actually talk. You talk. You talk plenty. So. We'll have to do like a series of episodes where we do "Call Me by Your Name." A Ghost Story and Blade Runner, our Dude. favorite movies. Yeah, let's do it. Well, Tree of Life is my favorite movie. We no. already did okay, that. Okay, fine. Just the posters that we have on our wall. That's fair. <laughs> well, uh, I do have a Tree of Life poster. It's just not up. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Anything else? I, I just I love this movie, and I guess we're gonna I get into final thoughts final and thoughts, and ratings. Yeah, I'll take wait. it because we have Becca. trivia first yes we do show me a jump on in um i don't i don't have anything else this is a movie that uh, i'll i'll put that in my final thoughts okay go ahead 
Okay, so before the start of shooting, um, Terrence Malick and cinematographer Emmanuel Lubeski got together um, and they came up with like six rules for cinematography. Ooh. No artificial lights. Seriously? Uh, there was one scene with artificial lights and I think it's the scene where uh, they go and meet the queen. Okay, I buy that. And I think that's it. Dude, that's probably why I think this looks as good as The Revenant, because The Revenant was also filmed with natural light. Yeah. <laughs> Go natural light. We love it. Um, no crane or dolly shots, uh, just handheld. Uh, everything was shot in subjective view. What all does that sh- mean? I don't Do we know? know? I'm not a film major. I, okay. also, I also noticed that like even the panning shots and the longer takes, there's movement to the camera. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, all shots were in deep focus. Uh, that is everything foreground and background is visible and focused. Dude. Okay. No, sorry. One more. That reminded me of another one of my favorite shots. Um, it was after, um, John Smith gets kicked out as president and you have the dude like shouting insults at him while he's being whipped, but it's all, it's, it's focused on the dude right like you just see his face and he's spitting and he's snarling and he's but it, it, nothing's like bokeh around him right like there's no every everything like you said everything is in focus and it's it just looks so natural but also overbearing because not only is this guy spitting on him and yelling at him and insulting him the color of his clothes blend in almost with the building around him so it's this entire shot where everything you see is just beating down on John Smith. And I think it's such an effective shot. And I think that's due to that. I didn't know that's what that was called, but deep focus where foreground and background are in focus. Uh, there's an, Now that I'm thinking about it, there's a number of shots that take advantage of that. Um, specifically, there's a handful of shots of people walking with like a building or a fence between them. And you see people come in and out, but they're never in and out of focus. Like you just see them. Mm-hmm. Or even there's a shot where they're going up a river I think it's the first time that they're going up the river and Colin Farrell's hanging off the the side of the boat. But you see there's just like so much commotion and movement on the boat, but then the 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 landscape is so calm and the water is calm and everything and but everything is in focus. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um the camera crew was encouraged to just kind of go shoot unexpected things. Um yeah, and kind of just to follow their instincts. And then um, selective shots, pretty much any shot that doesn't have visual strength was not used. Um, and, it, you know, a few of these rules were broken, but it's still a fantastic movie. Yeah. So gorgeous. Um, in an interview, Christian Bale um, was talking about just like Terrence Malick's directing style, how he would just direct everything and just kind of like follow the actor wherever they went. And so... Christian Bale would just kind of like start walking towards the crew and like the crew would just like be running and ducking into bushes to get out of the shot. <laughs> like he was just trying to mess with them. I love it. Um, virtually almost all the dialogue was dubbed in post-production because you could, Terrence Malick was just talking in the background, directing and telling everyone what to do. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's so freaking cool. <laughs> like, can you imagine? I just... I can't imagine being that creative and that skilled and be able to articulate exactly what to know for one, exactly what you want Mm -hmm. and to be able to articulate it. Like that's, 
I can't imagine working with somebody like that. It would either make me want to just like punch myself in the face or be the most fantastic thing in the world. Um, composer James Horner said that um, because of uh, Terrence Malick's habit to just kind of like edit and cut all the time, most of everything that he wrote uh, didn't really make it into the final cut. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, Christopher Plummer was apparently infuriated with the final cut because he apparently had a much bigger role in this dude anybody who heard anything and i I, I tried not to talk about it but anybody who heard anything about thin red line and then got upset with getting (laughs) cut out like can go suck it you know what you're getting with terrence malick like (laughs) yeah he vowed that he would never work with him again who cares dude you know (laughs) you know who the world is gonna miss more between christopher Plummer and terrence malick (laughs) (laughs) shut up um so irene bedard who played pocahontas's mother she was the voice of pocahontas in the disney movie and christian bale was the voice of someone else in that movie really yeah huh um and so apparently this was an kind of an homage um casting them was kind of an homage to the movie dude mel gibson plays john smith you didn't know that yeah that's <laughs> iconic he plays thomas i don't know who that is i like i know who the okay yeah I've well, never he looks act- like christian bale he kind of does yeah i've never actually seen pocahontas whatever you're awful sorry <laughs> one you guys didn't get i <laughs> started singing the magic school bus theme song just before this podcast started <laughs> and neither becca or sid were able to pick up on it we have both seen it obviously but we just didn't recognize and now we find out that sid hasn't seen pocahontas sorry that is pretty sad i'll just leave no keep keep going with your trivia uh terrence malick finished the script in the late 70s uh but it just kind of sat there until 2004 what did he do for 20 years that's what i want to know he just took it easy you know (laughs) i don't know because it's not it's children not maybe? like badlands and days of heaven were like raking in the royalties either like you probably just went and got a job <laughs> yeah he was too busy working nine to five at uh dairy queen i was gonna say 7-eleven uh, i just threw out something yeah. dairy queen sounds good maybe um, it was a 7-eleven with a dairy queen in it okay yeah i there can see go. that yeah i like that um over one million feet of film was shot shut up what do you how do you store that <laughs> what do you you just like have a box truck that just <laughs> it, it takes it all to the editing room jeez um and who finances these movies <laughs> <laughs> again imagine being terrence malick where people will just you just like go to a studio and you're like i want to make a movie and they're like here's money <laughs> And actors are like, I want to be in the movie. I want to be in the movie. And he's like, all right, I'll take 50 of you and 12 of you will be in it. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm going to shoot all of you as if you were the lead. Because that was, uh, Adrian Brody was, uh, we'll talk about this a lot more when we do Thin Red Line. Adrian Brody was supposed to be the lead of Thin Red Line. The movie was shot as if he was the lead. And then in the editing room. He just gets completely cut out. Adrian Brody's like, like ten minutes. He's, of it. Yeah, he's in like five or six minutes of that movie, and John Caviezel is the total focus of the movie. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh my God. Um, so kind of 
Terrence Moore cut the movie around the music instead of cutting the movie and then adding the music in. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then someone said that it was around pretty much like almost 100 degrees every day um, with humidity of 90%. And most of the, the Native American actors, you know, they're like in lo- loincloths, um, pretty much like always exposed to ticks and eight or nine of them develop ni- Lyme disease. Oh, jeez. So, yeah. And Hope it was is, worth it, guys. That is all I have for you today. Excellent trivia. Thank you. All right. You know how it goes, Becca. I always do. Final thoughts and score out of 10. Well, I am actually a little surprised at how much I really like this movie. Like, even just in the past hour that we've been talking about it, that I've realized, like, I really, really like this movie. And Andrew pulled up our our ratings for all the other movies and I peeked at it and discovered that I really like this movie because the rating that I decided to give it was higher than I was thinking I would give it. Righto. Um, but yeah, like we said, I think the colors, the cinematography is amazing. The music, the themes, like this is a pretty fantastic movie. And I will rate it a 9.3. Right on. Yeah. Sid? All right. Um, yeah, I honestly wasn't expecting to love this one as much as I did. Um, just kind of, I don't know, by the one Terrence Malick movie I've seen. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Just so much of it, it works on, like, just kind of like a love story. And but it's also like a good kind of coming of age for Pocahontas and it's a good drama and the themes are very interesting. Um, Yeah, I just thought it was all around just a great movie and just gorgeous. Um, And I'm going to give this one actually a 9.2. Right on, folks. (coughs) Um, And I I also enjoyed this movie. (laughs) Funnily enough, we were down to like four movies it was when we get a little, a little story for you guys um <laughs> we select the movie that we're gonna watch each week by pulling the shelf which means that i pull out the movies that i would be interested in and then becca and sid go in rotating rounds of pushing movies back in until we land on what we want to watch and we had uh blade runner 2049 contact enemy the godfather and this left actually we didn't have the, oh no we this didn't one have was this pushed in. yeah but we're looking at it and i was like we just did black swan and i rated that a 10 so and blade runner's a 10 and contact and enemy are both on my potential tens list i'm like maybe we should like do something that i'm not gonna gush on so hard <laughs> <laughs> and sid was like well why don't we just do tree of life or not tree of life a uh, new world and i was like all right sure whatever like i like that movie but i'm not gonna freak out over it i'm freaking out over it it's so good (laughs) Mm -hmm. um everything just comes together so well and i think that um if you haven't seen it or even if you have seen it and maybe you haven't seen this version seek out the extended cut it it's so 
good. And I think that the extra time that you get to spend with these characters absolutely makes the runtime worth it. Um, I just can't get over how, how much I enjoy this. Um, I still, I'll say this. I still think that it's the weakest out of the three, but I mean, that's, that's like saying that Bavarian cream donuts are just a little bit worse than maple bars. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I'm not going to say no to either one. And if I can have both, absolutely. Um, well, I love this movie. Um, and I'm also surprised at, at the rating that I am giving it. If I had any criticisms for it, I don't even know because it's, it's difficult to rate it because if I had any criticisms, it would be that maybe the length, but then at the same time, two seconds ago, I'm like, no, the length is worth it. And blah, blah, blah. Like this movie so successfully does what it sets out to do. And it communicates the things that it wants to communicate. I think it's just, this was a period of a director working at just his absolute peak and not only his absolute peak, but like it's just the peak of directing and filmmaking. Um, I'm going to give this one a 9.6. Nice. And I really only rate it that way because like, like the tens, the movies that are tens are so, <laughs> like something something has to be better than something else you know what i mean yeah and i think that the movies that i rate tens like i was talking to becca about this like for me a 10 is not just a perfect movie because i think this is probably a perfect movie yeah it totally and completely does what it sets out to do and i don't think there's any really major faults with it um, for me, that gap between perfect movie and a 10, it, it sounds weird to say it that way, but is just bridged by the X factor, right? It, the movie has to touch me in a really specific way for me to consider it a 10. Which I feel like this one almost could. I think I would like, even just in the past hour, it's grown on me more and more. And yeah, I already I came away loving it. I think after a second or third time watching it even my rating might go up, you know, like, yeah. And not that any of us gave it a bad rating. It, like, well, exactly. <laughs> I did nine, six. You did what? Nine, three. And you did nine, two. Is that nine, four ish? Yeah. Right. Right on par with Django Unchained. It seems so strange to compare those two movies. <laughs> I know they're so different, but that's the downfall of, the Weston scale being a single metric, right? It does go above children of men, which I think is appropriate. And the only it's, it's tied for those of you who can't see the scale. <laughs> um, it's currently tied with Django Unchained at 9.4. The only movies that are above it are there will be blood with 9.5. That's a 10 for me. Uh, Black Swan 9.6, also a 10 dancer in the dark 9.6. Uh, I need to see it again, but probably a 10 and tree of life at a 9.8. <laughs> Those are the only movies that beat this one out. So when I say that, like, 
it's not that this movie is missing anything. It's just that it didn't like, I appreciate what it's saying and I get what it's saying and it makes me feel things and it touches me. But like, there's this connection that I feel to movies that are a 10 that I can't explain what it is or where it comes from. And this movie doesn't have that yet. Agreed. Badoosh. <laughs> um, that's that. That is Terrence Malick's The New World. Go watch it. Uh, do we have any revisionist corner? I totally forgot to ask beforehand. I can't see why we would. Nope. Mm-mm. Um, Really quickly, Becca and I watched Free Solo this week. Oh, yeah. What'd you think? Oh, my gosh. I think my bumhole is still <laughs> puckered. That movie is terrifying. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Like, halfway through, oh my gosh. I was like, oh, my gosh. I want to start getting into rock climbing. Like that's, let me, that's what this movie made you think. Halfway through, I was like, okay. let me grab my Tevas and my Panagonia, and we are going out there. And then by the end of it, I was like, I am never leaving the house again. <laughs> I... I will say this from a filmmaking standpoint, it might be the best documentary I've ever seen. It was great. I I think it was the best documentary I've ever seen. Like, I mean, I haven't really seen that many, but yeah. it was fantastic. And like my hands and feet were just sweating. So sweaty. The so sweaty. Movie. Like if you, it's on Hulu. So if you haven't seen it, just go watch it. Oh, it's so good. It's, Oh my gosh. I was hoping when, when we watched the Oscars, I was hoping that Minding the Gap would win because I think that's a really cool and effective documentary. This is just a totally different level of filmmaking. Mm. freaking tacular <laughs> A plus oh. amazing recommend free solo. I want to watch it again. right? And now. that was literally the only movie that we watched this week. I forgot that we even watched that one, <laughs> but thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to find time, but we're just so busy. Yeah. Right we now. don't have time okay uh well i guess i'm gonna uh pull the team on this one um i went and saw us again even better the second time i really want to see it again yeah you pick up on some different stuff it's awesome i want to say this after uh we got done with the podcast as is customary for me i went and looked up the official discussion thread on the r movies subreddit Mm -hmm. and the top voted comment on that thread was a guy spelling out basically my exact theory for the movie Uh, that jerk no i don't think it's uh, no i i have the exclusive rights to it validated his i am the only person who can interpret the movie in that way he stole my ideas no it 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 validated my opinions and made me feel like oh i'm not the only one that thinks of it this way because it was really well uh written and, and thought out and everything and then it was the top voted comment in the thread so. Nice. So basically, you were the top voted comment. Basically. Okay. <laughs> um, and I watched Blue is the Warmest Color. Um, Why? Because I heard it was good. Did you like all of the graphic lesbian uh, sex? No, I <laughs> skipped over those. So um, what did you watch? <laughs> um, mm, what did I watch? I watched a lot of uh, someone floating in the ocean and crying um, and her eating with her mouth open. Apparently the movie is phenomenal. I actually did like it. I didn't think it was incredible, but I thought it was, you know, it was pretty yeah. good. I just don't. 
It's not because it's lesbian sex. Like, I just don't know if I want to just watch a movie with that much graphic sex. Yeah, it was. And it, it didn't really serve a point to the mm. story overall. It's on the Criterion Collection. Yeah. I mean, I could see why. I just, it didn't work for me. Yeah. But I mean, so well. is Antichrist. So. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. um, you know what happens in that movie, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I read the synopsis on that one. <laughs> Poor Willem Dafoe. That's all I'm going to no, say. No, poor woman in the movie. What's her name? Who is it? Doesn't he get like his penis like smashed? Yeah. What? And then and then and then she cuts off her clitoris with a pair of scissors. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. What is this movie? What? I don't want to know. Horrendous. I don't <laughs> oh know. I have gosh. no. I, I was like looking for a Lars von Trier movie to watch and I was like reading parents guides just to be forewarned and I was like, nope. <laughs> What is Jeez. someone needs to help him? He needs some help. He does need some help. Oh man. Um I rewatched it. Still love that movie. The new one or the, the old one? one? The new one. I love it. Okay. Bring Tim Curry back. He can't. He had a stroke. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rest in peace? No, he's still alive. Oh. Uh, uh, when you do. Yeah. <laughs> We we still love him, um, and I watched The Guilty, which was really good. What is that? It's um a Danish movie about a nine one one operator, and he gets a call from a kidnapped woman. I've heard of that. It was really good. Mm. It was super intense, um, because it all takes place in one room, and it's it's just from the nine one one dispatcher. Um, yeah, I really liked it. it had an interesting twist to it that I wasn't expecting. Um, yeah. I really liked it. It's on Hulu. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wasn't that... When did that come out? I think it came out last year. Yeah. That was one of the ones that people mentioned. They were like, this didn't get nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. That's garbage. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Hulu's actually... They've got some pretty good... Is Hulu up in their game? Yeah. They got Shoplifters on there. And they got Mm. um, a few of like the best documentaries on there too so what they're up in their game uh still can't beat netflix because netflix got roma and the irishman <gasps> i forgot about that one. also uh your weekly reminder that midsummer comes out in august <gasps> i finally saw the trailer <laughs> oh my god such a good trailer uh, it looks so gorgeous oh my gosh i was so ready my mom she was like uh-huh. This is going to be about cold. And I was like, well, yeah, I, yeah. I told you about it beforehand. She's like, Ugh. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll see it by myself. She's like, no, I'll still see it. <laughs> also hereditary <laughs> about a cold. <laughs> I'm like, mom, you're just going to whine about it the whole time. I don't want to see it with you. Anyway, that's all I've seen. Righto. Um, I think that's it then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're in the We're in the slow part of the year. As far as movie releases go, we it's, had it's picking up a little bit. Yeah, we're getting like a lot of blockbusters. High Life will come out soon. Yeah, that comes out next month, right? No, I think like well, I mean, it like gets a release like in a week or two. But are we actually gonna get it in a week or two or a month? I hope or so. End Game comes out very soon. Yeah. Game of Thrones comes back very soon. But yeah. All right, folks. 
Um, this has been your weekly dose of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. If you want to connect with us, facebook.com slash we watch movies and then talk about them or Instagram at movies we watch. Slide into the DMs and let us know which movie you would like us to cover next. We're more than happy to take listener suggestions and very willing to do so. Um, you know, in five years, it's going to be a perk for our Patreon subscribers. So do it right now while it's free. Um, <laughs> Apart from that, we love you. We thank you for listening to us, and we will see you next week. I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Sid. And we'll see you later. Bye. Where's my mouse? There it is. Okay.